Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, this may be the biggest week for the economy so far this year. With another significant rate hike from the Federal Reserve, GDP and other data that could confirm recession fears, and the latest earnings reports from the world's biggest companies. We'll break it all down. Also this morning, did you know that when you purchase apps or digital subscriptions, Apple and Google siphon off as much as 30% for themselves? Now, app developers are fighting back, demanding lower fees and alternative avenues to push content to consumers. And what was once a fringe idea is now going mainstream. What's a parent to do when their kid decides to go vegan? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. Today is Walk on Stilts Day. (laughs) Walk on Stilts Day. It is also Bagpipe Appreciation Day. And Take Your House Plants for a Walk Day. So take your house plants for a walk on stilts while you're playing your bagpipes. And I should also mention it is Take Your Pants for a Walk Day. So don't forget to do that. Very important. National Scotch Day, after you take your houseplants for a walk on stilts while playing your bagpipes, you'll need a scotch or two. Cross-Atlantic Communication Day, National Korean War Veterans Armistice Day, and it is Creme Brulee Day. So, reasons to celebrate today. Um, so, are you waking up this morning a little groggy? A lot of folks uh, often brag about it. It's, it's almost like a point of pride how little sleep we get. If you are a workaholic, if you are a type A person, uh, a lot of top corporate CEOs often talk about how little sleep they get. But this habit could be hurting your performance at work and your health. Eight hours of quality sleep per night is recommended. Sleep deprivation has been linked to high blood pressure, heart disease, overeating, and even cancer. So a good rule of thumb, experts say, if you feel you could go back to sleep at 10 or 11 in the morning, you're probably not getting enough quality sleep at night. Duh. This is actually a story on the Newswire. If you feel like you are nodding off about 10 or 11 in the morning, you are probably not getting enough quality sleep at night. No kidding. Um, what's the other thing they say for good health? Plenty of sleep and plenty of exercise. Uh, we have found the sweet spot with respect to exercise now. A study of more than 100,000 people over the course of three decades has found that 150 to 600 minutes of exercise per week is probably the sweet spot. Between 150 and 600 minutes of exercise per week. That's two and a half to 10 hours, somewhere between two and a half and 10 hours of exercise a week. The amount of exercise is associated with the lowest long-term risk of mortality. I always love when they say that it's uh, lowers your risk of, mon- uh, of mortality. Isn't your risk of mortality 100%? I mean, think about that. <laughs> isn't, isn't your risk of mortality ultimately 100%? Um, but it says with the right amount of exercise and plenty of sleep, you can reduce your mortality risk. <laughs> I guess if you get enough sleep and enough exercise, you can live forever is the implication there. And that's 
Obviously not true. Although if you sleep all the time, what's the difference? I don't know. Uh, let's see here. It is unclear if additional exercise beyond the two and a half to ten hours a week uh, has any further positive or negative effects. But regular exercise has long been associated with reduced rates of heart disease and other causes of premature passing. Again, that's one of those crazy medical terms that I always love to hear. Premature passing. How do they know? I mean, how, how do the doctors know if you have died prematurely? <laughs> what, are they uh, supposed to... How do they figure out when you're supposed to die? But anyway, I digress. What else is going on? Um, speaking of high achievers and getting plenty of exercise, uh, California native Cal Courier uh, has become the youngest person ever to sail the Atlantic Ocean west to east all by himself. He began the trip in Marion, Massachusetts last month, spent 28 days at sea navigating his 30-foot sailboat, the Argo. Uh, he reunited with his family in Lagos, Portugal, completing the record-breaking feat after having traveled 4,000 miles from start to finish. Cal Courier is 16 years old. 16! And his parents say he just started taking sailing lessons last year. And you let him sail the Atlantic solo for 4,000 miles after just... <laughs> a year or less of sailing lessons. Somebody ought to look into his parents, but that is a crazy 16 sailing the Atlantic by himself. When I was 16, my parents barely let me drive my car to school by myself. You know, was, <laughs> they were nervous about that, but uh, that's crazy. 16 years old. So I feel so insignificant. A couple of other items among the first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. I saw this the other day and I thought, hmm. Apparently a new Bigfoot theory has now dropped. And this one is pretty wild. Bigfoot expert and paranormal investigator Stan Gordon says that there is a very good reason why no one has been able to come up with a good photograph with a Sasquatch. Uh, he says it is an interdimensional creature that can disappear at will. Uh, Ms. Gordon appears in the Discovery documentary Paranormal Declassified Tracking Bigfoot. And in it, he talks about why no one has really found definitive proof that the creature exists. Just a few blurry photos and uh, eyewitness, supposed eyewitness accounts, uh, a few footprints of questionable veracity and things like that. That's really the only evidence of Bigfoot. And he says, we have heard these stories of people who have seen these creatures and in some cases, they just vanish. They would say, this thing appears suddenly in front of us, walks in front of our vehicle, we see it from head to toe, and then suddenly, it's gone. And his theory is interdimensional travel as a way to explain the very weird phenomenon. He said, we're dealing with something that's much stranger than a flesh-and-blood, 
unknown type of animal. The data I'm seeing indicates we're dealing with something with a physical and non-physical component to it. So there you go. Interdimensional travel. <clears throat> Along the space-time continuum. That's why we have never been able to catch or capture Bigfoot. I'm convinced. I don't know about you. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, buzzworthy, uh, no pun intended, the jacket that Buzz Aldrin wore on his flight to the moon has a new owner. The uh, space jacket adorned with a U.S. flag and the NASA logo, one of dozens of personal belongings that the 92-year-old astronaut has put up for sale. It was sold at Sotheby's auction in New York on Tuesday, yesterday. Um, of course, Buzz Aldrin, the second person to set foot on the surface of the moon, following Neil Armstrong's famous first footsteps, January 20th, 1969. And he is the only remaining living crew member uh, of the Apollo 11 mission. Uh, as Neil Armstrong passed away in 2012, Michael Collins died last August, so it's Buzz Aldrin is the last. But his jacket now has a new owner, uh, whoever it was, and we don't know who it was, but whoever it was paid $2.8 million for Buzz Aldrin's moon-worn jacket. That's a pretty princely sum. There's somebody, maybe you've won the Powerball, is there the... Mega Millions or something. Uh, but that is is wild. What a piece of memorabilia. There you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Mostly cloudy conditions are expected today with a high in the low 80s. It'll be mostly cloudy tonight, a low in the upper 60s. The city of Finley says it'll be working with Columbia Gas to fix up East Lima Street from the damage caused when the utility put in new gas lines. Finley City Engineer Jeremy Kalb. So where they went through and they placed in their new gas line, they're going to be pretty much replacing half the road on East Lima Street from Main Street all the way down to, I believe it's Park Street. Um, and we're going to team up with them and get both sides of the curb done and also resurface the south side of the roadway uh, the portion that they did not tear up. He says the work could begin as soon as next week and last for about a month. East Lima will likely be closed uh, through traffic during the work, but residents will be able to use it. Get more on the website. The investigation continues into the circumstances surrounding the shooting death of a sheriff's deputy in Clark County over the weekend. In addition to Clark County Deputy Matthew Yates being killed at a mobile home east of Dayton Sunday morning, the coroner says that the bodies of two other people were removed from the manufactured home that ended up burning down. 27-year-old Cole White of South Charleston and 47-year-old Jody Arbuckle of Springfield. The circumstances of their deaths are all still unclear. There are also reports of another deputy who was injured in the response but not shot. The initial 911 call to the area was for a break-in, possibly involving gunfire. I'm Jack Crumley. Finley City Schools will be holding a Community Day back-to-school bash. It'll be held on Friday, August 5th at Donnell Stadium. Finley High School football coach Stephen Adams. We will introduce all fall sports teams, the band, and our cheerleaders at 4.45 p.m., right before our football team's first scrimmage for St. Mary's at 6 p.m. Go Trojans!
As you heard Coach Adams mention, the football team will have its first scrimmage of the year that night at 6 against St. Mary's. Get more information on this Finley City Schools Community Day on the website. And you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, the headlines say this may be the biggest week for the economy so far this year, and that may not be hyperbole with another significant rate hike likely coming from the Federal Reserve. The GDP report for the second quarter, about a half dozen other data points that could confirm recession fears, depending on how they go. Uh, Walmart's projection earlier in the week cutting its profit forecast and a bunch of tech company earnings reports. It's just wow. Uh, Bank rate chief financial analyst Greg McBride joins us once again this morning. Break it all down. Greg, where do you start? Of all of those numbers, uh, all those reports and everything, what do you see as the most significant this week? Well, I think the, the, the Federal Reserve meeting is, is top of the list because uh, we're at an unprecedented pace of them raising interest rates. They raised rates last month by three quarters of a percentage point. It was the first time in 28 years they'd made a move that big. And here we go again. They're going to do another three quarter percentage point hike. They will have done in a little more than four months what took them three years the last time they raised interest rates. And so the cumulative effect of that uh, is building and building quickly. We're starting, you've seen it with the housing market cooling, the economy is slowing. Uh, and as more and more of those economic data points come out in the months ahead, it's going to show up more and more. Of course, the one we're still waiting on is inflation. We're yeah. waiting for it to have an effect on bringing down inflation, and we have yet to see that. Uh, I have actually seen and heard some conjecture that the Fed may actually bump rates up a full point. How risky would it be to accelerate rate increases even further? Yeah, that's uh, unlikely at this point. I mean, there was some talk about that when the uh, CPI report, the Consumer Price Index uh, report, uh, had come out earlier this month because it surprised to the upside, set another fresh 41-year high in inflation. And so that's when a lot of that talk started. But listening to different Fed members in the days that followed, they kind of threw cold water on that. Mm -hmm. They didn't dismiss it entirely, but said that that's not the base case. And then the other key point was what prompted the three-quarter percentage point hike in June was not just an outsized consumer price index number, but also the fact that inflation expectations in the consumer sentiment survey went up. That didn't happen this month. This month, those mm -hmm. inflation expectations in the consumer sentiment survey actually went down. And so it takes away that critical second ingredient that was so important to why they moved uh, by more than expected in June. So I, I, that's why I deem it very unlikely yeah. this month. They seem to have telegraphed the three-quarter percentage point. Of course, the administration is trying to play down uh, fears of a recession, saying all of the things that you would pretty much expect them to say, uh, because it's the last thing that they want. And, and they also want to avoid making recession sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, as it can be sometimes. But is there reason to believe that perhaps we have seen the worst of it, as some in the administration seem to want to think? Uh, well, I mean, so uh, that's really only going to be evident in hindsight. I mean, the fact is the economy is, is slowing. You know, the labor market, which has been really, really strong, is turning a bit of a corner. Um, you know, all the talk of, of, of recession, I, I, 
I think recession's more of a 2023 thing than a 2022 thing. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, you know, to say that the, the worst has already come, I, again, I think it kind of depends on what you're, you're measuring. I mean, if, uh, you know, if inflation moderates, from here, if it if it proceeds pretty quickly, mm-hmm. um, that bodes very well because then the Fed doesn't have to be as aggressive, and the odds yeah. of pushing it into a recession decline pretty quickly. Well, that actually kind of uh, answers the question I was going to ask. Uh, at, at the end of the day, are you ready to say, as some people seem to be ready to say that a recession is inevitable? Some are even saying we are already in one, but you don't see that. No, not the in one. No, I mean, you know, it's you know, people point to the the GDP numbers and the, the textbook definition uh, of of recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, if the GDP for second quarter comes out negative, we will have that. But even then, there's a couple of asterisks. Like I said, that's just the textbook well, that- definition. Well, that that actually brings up a, a good point uh, because uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen and, and others uh, within the administration especially did raise some eyebrows uh, this past weekend for trying to move people off the idea that a second straight quarter of economic contraction would signal a recession, which is, as you said, the, the textbook definition. It's the one that we've uh, come to expect. Do they have they have a point? Is it an oversimplification to define it in that way? Well, yeah, and especially when we look at the the details. I mean, the first quarter GDP number was negative because of the trade balance, because we imported a lot more stuff than we exported. Uh, Gee, that means we're spending more money. Consumers are spending more here than our counterparts overseas. That doesn't sound like economic contraction to me. And then the second quarter, uh, we've seen a, a hit to, to inventories. And so a lot of the projections that we might get a negative second, a negative GDP number for second quarter uh, is because you know, companies have, uh, you know, they're, they're not adding to the inventories because they kind of got stuck with a bunch of stuff. So, you know, the, the two thirds of economic output is consumer spending. Neither one of those is really uh, indicative of of consumer uh, spending dialing back. We've seen consumer taste shift from goods to services, and that's contributed to some of those inventory issues. But consumer spending has remained very, very strong. The other point, one final point on this, Chris, these GDP numbers are expressed in what's known as real terms. In other words, after inflation. Mm -hmm. So let's think about this for a second. We got a $22 trillion economy. If GDP comes in at negative 1%, but inflation is 9%, that means our $22 trillion economy is growing at 8%. Mm. So, again, I think we have to consider the the context. This doesn't meet a lot of people's definitions of a recession. Now, I'm not saying it's not coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more of a 2023 thing than a 2022 thing. Yeah, as as you mentioned, a big asterisk there to uh, to keep in mind, and and it is a bit of a challenge to to really. Uh you know, project this, isn't it? I mean, the circumstances that have contributed to these challenges that we see with the economy uh, are so unique, uh, whether we're talking about the pandemic, the, uh, the war in Ukraine, you know, these are not many of the typical things that you see that impact the direction of the economy. This is very, very unique. Very well said. I mean, well, we, you know, we, the, we use the word unprecedented a lot mm-hmm. during the pandemic, but you know, here we are in 2022 and we're still using that that word, which, I, again, kind of, you know, underscores the point you made. 
So at the same time, though, uh, and, and this is where, you know, kind of uh, trickles down to Joe Average. Uh, we had the uh, story just yesterday that a, a growing number of families say that they uh, are, are struggling to make ends meet, that they've had to make really uh, significant decisions about uh, the necessities and paying the bills and servicing their own uh, debt and, and, and things of that nature. So it, what... What do consumers, average consumers, uh, make of all of these numbers that we're going to get bombarded with this week and that economists are going to be talking about and trying to uh, figure out what it means for the economy? What does Joe Average make of all of this? Oh, you know, I don't think these numbers tell us anything that the consumer doesn't already know. In fact, uh, I think the numbers just validate what we've been seeing and hearing and experiencing as consumers. Um yeah, costs are increasing at the fastest pace in, in over 40 years. Mm-hmm. The increases have been pervasive. It's not just one or two categories. I mean, it has been across the board. Uh, and even despite what would otherwise at normal times be very robust wage growth, we're buying power is declining because while pay is going up an average of 5%, right. inflation's okay. at nine. Yeah. So that buying power is getting squeezed and it's leading to those difficult decisions that households are having to make day in and day out. Again, uh, Bankrate Chief Financial Analyst Greg McBride with us uh, this morning, uh, breaking it all down on a very, very busy week of economic reports that folks will be buzzing about for quite some time to come. Greg, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you much. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, you know, there is an app for everything these days, and we rely on them for just about everything. But have you ever noticed that when you purchase a subscription or pay a fee on an app, that it may cost more than if you purchase that same subscription through a website? It is not arbitrary, as it turns out. Joining us this morning is Rick Van Meter of the Coalition for App Fairness, which is an organization of app developers fighting against a policy they say is limiting consumer freedom. And uh, Rick, give us some examples uh, of things that, that, that cost more through an app than they would through a website so that people can understand kind of what we're talking about here. Well, good morning. Uh, well, the, the best examples are uh, digital goods and services. So these are things like uh, music streaming services or dating apps um, or purchases that you would make uh, within a, a game. Um, these are the sorts of things that Apple and Google classify as digital goods and subject them to up to a 30% fee. So developers are paying these uh, these fees, but ultimately... Uh, as all taxes and fees do, they, they are borne by consumers in the form of higher prices. So um, and, you know, it's, it's limited to about 15% of apps, but, but it really can add up for, for folks. That's what I was going to ask. How common is this? How often do people encounter this uh, price differential, this fee that uh, the app stores are charging of developers and that developers then in turn are uh, passing on to consumers? Uh, it is it, it's subject uh, for all digital goods and services. So again, music streaming apps, um, games, dating apps, these, these are the types of apps, apps where you're going to be hit with this app tax on. Uh, it doesn't apply to physical goods and services. So if you are, if you're, if you're buying a product that's shipped to your house, 
That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about digital goods and services. So a lot of subscriptions. Pretty much anytime, if you sign up for a subscription through an app, you're probably paying the 30% fee and not even realizing it. And, and why is that? I mean, that's one of the things, obviously, uh, one of the reasons why uh, you want to make sure that, that you know, the word gets out, that people understand this. Why is it that so few people realize uh, how much and, and how much does this cost uh, consumers? Well, folks don't realize it because there's not really any transparency there. And Apple and Google actually put restrictions on developers to prevent them from telling their customers about ways that they could save money because that would hit their bottom line. So, um, you know, many of our, for example, some of our members can't uh, reach out to their customers and say, hey, it looks like you might be eligible for a student discount or a family plan that would save you money. So not only are they paying more money for these services, but they're not getting the best customer service or user experience uh, that they deserve. And it really doesn't have to be that way. I mean, this is really just indicative of a, of a marketplace that is fundamentally broken and needs to be fixed. So what is your... Uh so what are you advocating for uh, to fix that marketplace that you see is broken? Well, there's a couple of things. One, I would just encourage folks to be good consumers. You know, these are times of very high inflation uh, and every little bit counts. So it's very convenient to uh, make a purchase through an app or, or to subscribe to something through an app on your, on your phone. I would encourage you to check out the company's website um, on your desktop or laptop computer and see if you can't get a better deal uh, that way and pay a little bit less money. The other thing that needs to happen is that Congress needs to pass uh, the Open App Markets Act. Uh, this is very bipartisan legislation, recently passed the Senate Judiciary Committee 20 to 2, uh, so overwhelmingly bipartisan, even at a time of a lot of gridlock in Washington, mm-hmm. um, and also has broad public support. You know, we, we did some polling recently. We found that about 82% of voters in Ohio would would support this legislation once what, they knew about it. Yeah, once so, uh, this could be a big win for Republicans and Democrats, and we we hope it can get done. Yeah, the key is once people uh, understand that this is actually happening, and that again, a part of the awareness campaign. Now, uh, just to, uh, in the interest of fairness, present the other side, I want to get your uh, your response to this. The app stores. Uh, argue that they do serve a purpose. They are there to vet the literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of apps that are out there to make sure that they're not infected with viruses or infected with malware, that they don't do something that would compromise the operating system of your device and that they're not just outright scams. One could make the argument that were it not for that layer of oversight and protection that the app stores provide, that people would have a lot less trust in their apps and they would be a lot less pervasive than they and popular than they uh, actually are. So, you know, isn't there some value that they do bring to the table? Sure. And nothing that we're advocating for would prohibit Apple uh, or Google from continuing to operate their app stores and, and developers and users, I imagine, would continue uh, to still use those services. But what we think is that there should be alternatives. Um, so if people are very comfortable using the app store, both developers and uh, users, they should continue to be able to do so. But uh, when there's no competition in the marketplace, these two large companies are able to use their market position 
to um, impose these anti-competitive practices, including these excessive fees on developers and consumers. So we think once there um, is competition, not only will you see prices go lower, but your quality of services will improve, and that includes security. You know, um, I, I'm not arguing that the App Store is unsafe, but there, there have been reports, including in the Washington Post, about the number of scam apps that make it into the App Store. Mm-hmm. You know, we know from some of the recent trials that even Apple's own developers have, have said that, you know, security in the App Store is like bringing a butter knife to a gunfight. You know, mm-hmm. the real security comes from the devices themselves. And uh, this is exactly the way Mac desktop and laptop computers operate where you can get software from the App Store, but if you want to get it directly from the developer, you can. And the hardware of the device actually does a much better job of protecting you than the App Store review. You referenced the Open App uh, Marketplace Act. Um, does that eliminate those uh, those fees, those commissions uh, entirely that developers uh, have to pay to the App Store, or does it uh, just uh, limit them? It, it actually doesn't do either. It doesn't... It, it, it doesn't eliminate the fee. It also does not cap the fee. We're not trying to set rates. So what we believe is that there should be competition. Uh, if, if one so, payment processor is saying that they'll charge 30% and you allow someone else to come in, they would probably charge an industry standard rate of 3 to 5%. It would be a pretty easy choice uh, for a developer you know, to choose one with a significantly lower fee. We believe that competition and market forces will bring down the rate. So, that's, so again, we're not trying to say that they can't hold fees, but that they should be subject to competition, just like you would be in any other industry. So, uh, in other words, you believe that that would actually drive uh, those fees down, make those uh, app services less expensive, not just for developers, but then uh, by extension for consumers as well. That's correct. And several of our members have already said that they would pass along those savings directly to the customer. Again, uh, Rick Van Meter is with the Coalition for App Fairness, an organization of app developers fighting against this policy they say is limiting consumer freedom. Where do folks learn more about your advocacy for this legislation and for reining in the costs uh, that are uh, borne through the app stores uh, for developers and for uh, customers? They can go to our website. It's appfairness.org. That's appfairness.org. They can learn more about this issue, the legislation. They can even contact their members of Congress directly there to let them know that they support this effort. Rick, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Our requisite story out of Florida this morning uh, comes from Marion County, Florida, where two men have been arrested for allegedly robbing the same house twice in one day. (laughs) Twice in one day. Deputies responded to two calls to a Marion County home. were told the jewelry, uh, a ladder, a tree stand, and an outdoor fireplace were stolen from the property. Upon arriving at the house the second time, Suspect Jonathan Holmes was seen riding a bike while wearing jewelry that matched the description of that which had been stolen. (laughs) So they robbed the place twice, and then he was riding his bike in the area. What was he, casing the joint for a third attempt? What is... 
<laughs> All right. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news. Uh, always fun to make fun of uh, what goes on up in Michigan. A 59-year-old man in uh, Grand Traverse, Michigan, now charged with smuggling contraband into the local jail. Apparently, he was turning himself in to police at the Grand Traverse County Jail on July 19th when officers found three marijuana gummies taped to his leg. <laughs> uh, the sheriff's office has not released his name or what he was initially turning himself in for, but I know why he's in jail now. <laughs> okay, just because marijuana is legal in Michigan doesn't mean that you can take it into the jail. No, that's, I, that's a no-no. <clears throat> Speaking of odd things going on in the state of Michigan, this from Rapid City, where local news reports... Um, about a 46-year-old naked man arrested uh, for yanking off his clothes and running onto the middle of Michigan Highway 131. <laughs> uh, he uh, yanked off his clothes and ran onto the highway while flashing people as he trotted across U.S. 131. He broke out into a dance. Uh, the uh, report goes on to say when he was finished with that particular form of expression, he then decided to drop to the ground and do some push-ups, all while holding a gun in his hand. Well, because he was naked, he didn't have any place else to keep it, I guess. Uh, the firearm identified as a 9mm handgun. Witnesses say he dumped out his ammunition while police were responding to 911 calls. Multiple 911 calls, people. <laughs> in the, I would love to hear the 911 tapes of all of the calls. Um... But uh, police responded. The man was arrested and taken to Munson Hospital for an evaluation. <laughs> but police did uh, find that he had a valid uh, carry permit. So, <laughs> so the gun apparently was fine. There was no problem with that. It was the uh, whole naked in the highway part that uh, seemed to be a problem. He was taken to a hospital for <clears throat> an evaluation. Uh, let's see here. This from Baltimore, where Travis Burroughs has been sentenced after pleading guilty to throwing a pitcher of water at a judge. <laughs> what, what would possess you to think that's a good idea? Uh, apparently, uh, Mr. Burroughs, uh, flung a metal pitcher filled with water at city circuit court judge Wanda Hurd. Uh, after the judge sentenced him on another case back in 2019. Uh, Circuit Court Judge Lawrence Daniels sentenced Mr. Burroughs to 10 years in prison to run concurrently with his other sentences. Mr. Burroughs admitted in court that he tossed the water pitcher because he was angry that he was not allowed to receive his medications. <laughs> Definitely sounds like he needs his medications. That's... <laughs> That probably is not going to end well. If that's not a that's not the way to protest uh, the judge's sentence is by throwing a pitcher of water. It's not going to end well for you. Uh, let's see here. The mayor of a California. This is one that you actually have to see to fully appreciate. The mayor of a California city 
said an error by contractors was responsible for the zigzagging lane lines on a city road that left some residents scratching their heads and others downright dizzy. Residents of Hollister, California, lit up social media with photos and videos showing the bizarre patterns, uh, bizarre pattern of lines painted recently uh, on a, a local street. The yellow lines in the center of the road, the white lines at the shoulders, were all painted in a zigzag pattern instead of a typical straight line. Uh, the mayor said, I saw it on my way home from work and thought this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. Mayor Ignacio Velasquez says the lines were supposed to be slightly curved, but the instructions were apparently misinterpreted by the contractors who painted the lines. Basically, the mayor said, it comes down to the contractor. Someone didn't read the plans correctly. It was not designed to look this odd. Uh, the mayor said the contractor will repaint the road at no additional cost to taxpayers. And again, this one that you you have to see. I saw the pictures. And, and, and yeah, that would get your attention if the uh, lines were uh, painted that zigzag pattern. It's crazy. And finally, in the broken news this morning. New York City, you know, has been uh, grappling with a major heat wave, as has much of the country. But in New York City, particularly... The city's elite have been getting hot under the collar because some common riffraff have been invading their space and using their swimming pools. Their exclusive swimming pools. We can't have the riffraff uh, in our swimming pools. Reporters spoke to one resident of a luxury apartment building in the Big Apple, a guy named Kevin, who shells out $4,700 a month for rent and then $65 a month on top of that for the private pool in the apartment building. He said his building's residents, uh, the, the building residents are not causing the crowding. It's party crashers. It's a free for all. Kevin said he's been una unable to snag a lounge chair because of the rowdy non-residents. <sighs> Aside from overcrowding, these intruders are bringing an abundance of booze, which is leading to broken glass and vomit stains, <laughs> thus turning these posh and pristine pools into something akin to frat houses. And apparently this is not only happening to people who live in uh, buildings with private pools. Private clubs are also dealing with this. Joseph Bonvoulard, age 26, says he forks over $300 a month to use the swimming pool at the Equinox Hudson Yards, where finding a place to relax is now impossible. On the weekends, he says, if I'm not there at the crack of dawn, the wait time is about four hours just to get a chair. Horror of horrors. Uh, they are also driving new. Uh, they are also driving potential new members away. These private, uh, these party crashers, these private pools. They're driving potential new members away. Dennis Shurchikov, age 32, toured a luxury unit on the Upper West Side, but refused to rent it after seeing a large number of partygoers leave empty beer cans in the pool area. Whatever will we do? I don't know. Maybe hire security? Or, or maybe take some of your millions of dollars and build the riffraff their own pool? I don't know. There's just a couple of ideas there. We can have the riffraff cooling down in our pools. <laughs> 
Now, that's what you call first world problems right there. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <laughs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Uh... Colleges and universities uh, in this country have taken a beating uh, in the uh, in, in public opinion in recent years uh, between uh, what some mostly conservatives see as the indoctrinal nature of uh, instruction to the cost of a college education, but public support, uh, even though it has fallen over the past couple of years, Americans do continue to believe in the overall value. Of a college education. This is according to an annual survey from the think tank New America. Only 55% agree that institutions of higher education are having a positive impact on the country. That compares to 58% last year and 69% who said that in early 2020, just before the start of the pandemic. But about three fourths do agree that a post secondary education offers a good return on investment. That is down slightly from 80% in 2020, but still higher than you might imagine, given uh, all of the news about the cost of a college education. They still find it a good return on investment, three out of four. Uh, There was a growing partisan divide on the issue. 85% of Democrats, but just 69% of Republicans view a college education as a good investment. And there was an even bigger divide on who should pay for higher education, 77% of Democrats, but only 36% of Republicans agree that that government should pay for students to go to college because of the greater good that society gets out of an educated society. Uh, Only 36% of Republicans agree with that statement, 77% of Democrats. On the other side, 63% of Republicans, but just 22% of Democrats agreed that students should be financially responsible for their education because they personally benefit. Well, the idea of a vegan diet, one that does not include any product derived from animals, was once kind of a fringe idea, but it is going more mainstream these days. And given the fact that young people are naturally more inclined to have a more favorable view of animal rights issues in general, probably not a surprise that more kids are either going vegan or are vegan curious. So how do parents accommodate that? Faith Robinson is Senior Strategist at People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA. Now, Faith, obviously you would wholeheartedly support that choice and go even further to encourage the whole family to go vegan, right? Absolutely. And I think every parent should really be thrilled that their child is making a decision that helps animals and our planet. By going vegan, everyone saves about 200 animals every year. And it's so easy these days with so many available options that you can enjoy all those same great foods you love. 
Now, you also make the point, and I think this is valid, that empathy for other human beings begins with empathy for animals. And especially in the world we live in today, uh, we really could stand to double down on efforts to teach our kids to be kind to one another. So this can be a good place to start. Absolutely. With bullying so rampant these days and school shootings and violence really on all of our minds, Teaching kids empathy early on is one of the most important lessons that we can impart on our children. And it can really begin with the food that's on our plate and the conversations we have about what we eat. But you also realize that some parents may not necessarily be ready or may not even be interested at this point in making that leap. At a minimum, it's probably fair to say that many kids may come around to that way of thinking before their parents, uh, as we mentioned. So with that in mind, how can parents accommodate their kids and their vegan diet? Well, there are several just easy, simple things that you can do. Check your grocery store, see if you have a vegan section or if there are vegan options just throughout your, you know, frozen section, your produce section, the deli area. You can find delicious vegan options from Gardein vegan chicken nuggets and Beyond Meat's delicious burger patties. Even major brands like Ben and Jerry's offer delicious non-dairy ice creams. So, Eating vegan is really mainstream for people of every age. And then parents can also familiarize themselves with a lot of great resources out there from cookbooks about feeding vegan kids to social media accounts that specialize in raising vegan kids. So you can get all the support you need and we have resources and recipes available at PETAKids.com. Now, I have to say, uh, one of the things when my uh, daughter-in-law decided to go gluten-free in her diet, one of the things, and and, uh, our our granddaughter is as well, uh, one of the things that I found out that I didn't know is how many things that we already consume that uh, were gluten-free. And I would imagine that there are probably some things in people's regular diets that are already vegan friendly that maybe they might not even realize. Absolutely. If you're making your kid a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch today, you know, that's already a vegan option that you're using. Hummus, a great plant-based protein, already vegan. Um, So there's a lot of great things that you may already be eating and then you can branch out further and just try to seek out those vegan alternatives, like we mentioned, vegan nuggets, vegan burgers, you can even find tofurkey deli slices um, at your local grocery store to try out and swap in sandwiches. You've got so many options nowadays. And I I guess we would be remiss if we didn't say that the studies show that uh, this is a healthier way of eating as well. Absolutely. Eating animals has been tied to health problems like heart disease, obesity, cancer, and diabetes. So, Leading health experts all agree that going vegan is the single best thing we can do for ourselves and our family. So now, and and you kind of touched on this when you were talking about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I know that was a staple of my uh, brown bag lunch days uh, many, many years ago. And as we are coming up on back to school, and we've been talking about that over the past week or so, not a lot of vegan options in most school lunchrooms. So what are some easy ideas for vegan school lunches? Yes, if you're packing your kid a vegan lunch, you can try some of those deli slices and vegan cheese. 
maybe some vegan yogurts are, you know, you're saying to pop into your kid's lunch, some whole food and um, exciting options can also be like a vegetable fried rice, or maybe you want to make like an egg salad for sandwiches or crackers with tofu or chickpeas, which is really one of the favorites in our household with my uh, two-year-old. So there's so many possibilities out there, really endless possibilities for healthy and animal-free food. Which kind of uh, eliminates the uh, uh, adage or the misperception that uh, these things can be complicated to make and and it can be a complicated diet. Uh, It is possible to do this quickly and and still make it vegan-friendly. And and correct me if I'm wrong, many of these things uh, don't require the uh, refrigeration uh, and and we don't have to worry about uh, keeping those uh, lunches uh, cold uh, while the kids are at school, right? I have certainly found that it is much easier in my family with vegan foods to, um, yeah, keep them not maybe as cold. They can last longer. We'll take picnics and pack things. Okay. We don't quite have to be, you know, as careful. Um, of course, you'll still want your deli sandwich to be somewhat cold. Probably. Sure. Right. Uh, right. I prefer it that way. But yes. So uh, the uh, food safety issues uh, become less of a concern uh, as well. So something worth keeping in mind. Again, Faith Robinson, Senior Strategist, PETA for uh, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And you mentioned a website where you've got uh, recipes, especially kid-friendly, vegan-friendly recipes. Where do we find those? Absolutely. You can visit PETAKids.com for all sorts of recipes and resources for parents and vegan kids. Faith, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Liberty Benton Superintendent Mark Kowalski will give us an update on the very busy summer of construction at their campus ahead of back-to-school time. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.